Um, we're going to look today at Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 9, um, of a, a text that um, is stunning, startling, uh, difficult, challenging, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but we've already uh, done some pretty challenging things here today. We've read about destroyers and snakes killing God's people. And, uh, uh, but even before that, at the very beginning of the bulletin today, you know, we always put these quotes in here at the beginning of the bulletin in, in the hopes that somebody will read them. And um, one of the ones that uh, is here today, a great one from John Alexander that says, sin and repentance are the only grounds for hope and joy. Uh, which uh, I'm certain almost none of you believe. Uh, it's it's hard to believe that, right? I, you know, I'll find hope and joy in just about anything other than repentance, right? Uh, I like, you know, uh, so there's some startling stuff here, but the fact is sin and repentance are the only uh, grounds for hope and joy because repentance, true repentance, always ends in joy. Real joy, eternal joy. So uh, in light of that, let me pray and then we'll uh, read the scriptures. Uh, Lord, we come to you today uh, confessing that we find joy in uh, all the wrong places. I pray that you would teach us the joy of repentance. Pray that you would teach us the freedom and the delight that you have uh, for us uh, in repenting and in quietness before you. So bless us now, we pray, as we read your word. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. And then if it should bear fruit next year, well, and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So one of the things that I know about human beings, if you're a human this morning and you're in this room, one of the things that I know about you, because I know human beings, I study them, I think about them a lot, is that we judge. We judge. We're judging all the time. You're judging me right now. Why does he always wear that green sweater? Um, Marty, uh, Marty told me a few months ago that uh, she, she was judging me because she was tired of looking at the hole in my shoe and would I go get some new shoes to wear to church, right? I mean, so, so the fact is we're, we're evaluating and judging each other all the time. And of course, uh, occasionally we judge ourselves, but generally we judge ourselves uh, in uh, response or in comparison to other people. That's usually our standard. And if you look around, you can always find somebody that you're better than or worse than or about the same, right? So I'm not going to tell you today to stop judging because that would be like telling the waves at the ocean to not 
come ashore. But I am going to challenge you a little bit today to think about the standard by which you judge. Just for instance, one of the things that I know uh, that would be true of us is uh, if you were, because I know so much about social media, I know that if you were to do a search today on hashtag blessed, it would show up pictures of people on vacation, uh, people with getting married, people with new children, uh, people living the high life. And yet, Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Hmm. We judge. Right? And so, because we judge that way, and, and there's nothing wrong with having a baby or being happy or any of that kind of stuff. It's all good. Uh, but Jesus points out to us that blessing is often found in dark places and in hard places, right? So, so I just want you to think a little bit with me this morning as we as we deal with this, because the, you know, what Jesus is doing here in this text is challenging people's judgment, right? Because what, what happens here is these people come to him and they ask him this question, right? And they say, Hey, were the, you know, these, what, what do you think about these people that, um, uh, uh, the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, now, it doesn't say this, but Jesus knows us well enough to know that when we come to him asking those kinds of questions, these people anyway, were asking the question about, are they worse than us? Right? Everywhere you go, uh, wherever we are, we run into this all the time. One of the things that I've, I've noted over the last couple of years is how much we judge each other over food. Right? I know this because years ago, back when the cookout up here was uh, Bullets, uh, I was there one day eating a, a quadruple bacon fried egg giant stack of cholesterol with a bucket of fries. I was sitting there eating, and a member of this church was driving down Ridge Road, and he saw me, and he whipped his car around and pulled into the, the Bullets there because you could only eat outside, and he pulled up, rolled down his window, and said, you're going to die. And I'm like, praise Jesus. Yes, I am. I am. And if I were to die right now, it wouldn't be so bad, <laughs> right? Right? So we judge each other about food. One of the ways that I, I've, I've noticed that is I uh, observe people a lot. I go weekly and buy our groceries on my day off. And one of the things that I've noted in grocery stores is how people are judging one another and how the people who work in the grocery store judge you based on what you buy. And you always have this awkward conversation at the checkout. Did you find everything you were looking for today? Oh, you're trying this. I really like this. This is really good. You're going to love this. Or really, you bought that? I don't like that. And I'm like, well, I'm buying it because I don't like it either. (laughs) But my favorite place grocery store to go to is one where I get to look on the screen as they're uh, flashing my groceries across that little thing there is there's at the top of the screen it says IPM and I know what that is is that's items per minute and they have a standard in the store that they got to check through so many items per minute I know what the standard is and if they're below the standard I'll say to them hey you need to pick it up 
What are you talking about? Your IPMs is only nine and it's supposed to be 14, right? And they get really nervous, start dropping the grapes. But uh, um, recently, Marty and I were, we were, we were buying groceries and we were together and a sweet girl was checking us out and she's trying to engage us and she's like, my, you're buying very healthy food. And I guess we, we believe that eating healthy is really important. In fact, did you know that we're 106? <laughs> you th- I, I really said this. And she recoiled from me like, oh, no. And I think she was thinking about hitting the security button to come to come and get the, the crazy guy. But she was judging us positively, but she was judging us based on, on the food that we were, we were buying, right? Now, here's the thing, you know, we, we carry around in our, view, our way of thinking something that, it, it, and the way in which we judge indicates to me that for many of us, at least our ultimate, our first reaction, the way we kind of look at things is we don't believe that grace reigns. We kind of think about grace, but really for most of us, the way we think about life is like karma, right? If you do enough good things, you get good. If you do bad things, you get bad. That's the way we tend to view the world, right? And that's the, ten, that's the way we, we tend to approach it. And so that's what's going on here in this text where these people are coming to Jesus uh, and are asking this question. And, you know, we read this and we're like, oh, of course Jesus is, is being, uh, being this way. But, you know, think about it this way. Let's, let's say, you know, uh, here in Richmond, uh, there's a church, maybe one of our daughter churches, and they are at worship one Sunday. And as the people are coming forward to take communion, someone goes in there and kills a bunch of those people so that their blood gets mixed with the cup and the plate. Horrible. Terrible. That's what we're talking about, right? It is a, it's a stunning picture of depravity, a stunning picture of, of just something really awful happening here. And so these people are coming to Jesus and they're like, what is going on with this? You know, uh, uh, how, 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 do you, how do you make sense of that? And so Jesus reads and sees into their hearts and wants them to understand a, a couple of things about what to do and how to think about uh, living in a broken and fallen world like this. So, so when Jesus uh, uh, said, that he was con- this is what he said when he was confronted with the suffering that comes from living in a fallen world. What he said was this. He's like, no, their sin was not extraordinarily horrible. Those people weren't worse sinners. They weren't, they weren't terrible people. No, it was ordinarily horrible. Just like yours. And if you don't repent, you too will experience a horrible end, all of you. Now, the, the, the thing about this is, you know, and Jesus ups the ante on that because it's one thing to say, all right, these people were, uh, this first group of people that they come and ask him about, they were the victims of violence. 
But then he goes on to say, no, I tell you, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. And then he goes one further. He says, or what about those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Wow. You know, it's like, yeah, this is just stunning. You know, you, they, they come to Jesus asking these questions and he just sticks it right in their face like, you know, hey. Now, maybe they came to him, at least with the question about Pilate, to say, hey, the least you could do is condemn Pilate, right? The least you could do is say that that oppressive Roman uh, governor, uh, he should be rooted out, right? And I'm sure, you know, if, if uh, uh, Jesus doesn't think what Pilate did was good, and if Pilate were standing there in front of Jesus, I'm certain that Jesus would judge him and call him to account for his violent, hideous uh, oppression of the people, but Pilate's not in front of him. People like me and you are in front of him. And he looks at us and he sees us and what he wants to do is love us. And he wants to love us by telling us the truth and kind of jolting us out of the way in which we view the world. And the way in which we view the world is that suffering comes to people for some reason because they deserved it. And we're right about that in some degree because certainly our sin deserves punishment. And our sin deserves suffering. But the fact of the matter is that is not how the world works, right? So he is simply dealing pastorally with the people in front of them saying, listen, don't spend your time evaluating and looking out there. First and foremost, you need to do business with God, with your heart, with who you are, right? And so he repeats himself, unless you repent, you too will, you will all likewise perish. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, You will all likewise perish. In other words, sooner or later, unless you repent, a terrible thing, judgment will befall you. Now, what does it mean to repent? Because one of the things that we could do and one of the things that could happen to us is, and one of the things that you may already be thinking this morning is, I'm tired of thinking about repenting. Well, the the fact of the matter is, if you're tired of thinking about repenting, you haven't repented. And the reason why I can say that is because the person who repents is full of joy and is glad to repent and is glad because he sees his need and he sees how wide and big and strong and powerful the mercy of God to him is in Jesus Christ. And so to repent means to turn to him who is the only way who can, the only one who can deliver us from this fallen and sinful world and from the fallenness and sinfulness that is at work in us, right? Because you see, the, the, the fact is that, that you live in a world where people's blood gets mingled with their sacrifices or some crazy tower falls on people and kills them. That is, you know, that, that is an evidence to us that the world is fallen and broken. But it's also an evidence to us that that fallenness and brokenness is not just something that's out there, but it's something that's out there and it's something that's in here. 
And that those terrible things that happen are a witness to us, not just of the sin that's going on out in the world, not just the depravity that's out there, but the fact that because I'm a human being and I share with these other human beings this, that I, the world is not the way it should be. And I got to tell you, you and I certainly left to our own devices are not the way we should be, right? And so, if, you know, as you, as you read this, it's a startling, and actually it might even tempt some of you, if Jesus had stopped right there at verse 5, unless you repent, you're all, you're all going, going to hell, you're all going to perish, right? Uh, this would be a stark passage, and we'd probably quit reading. Some of you would read that, and it would cause such a crisis that you would be undone because you would believe you would be, Uh, you would be left with the uncertainty. Have I repented enough? Because the human temptation, because we believe in karma and not in grace, right, would be to think that repentance is somehow a way that I earn God's favor. That repentance would somehow or other be an act that I do to get God to love me and to protect me and to shield me from my own sin and from the sin and brokenness of the fallen world, right? But Jesus tells this parable, which is a wonderful parable, and it's quickly becoming uh, my my favorite uh, parable. Um, and it's a it's a really profound picture of the way the gospel, the way the work of Christ happens in our lives. There's a fig tree, and for three years, which is a long time, three years, no fruit. No fruit. So the owner looks at it and says, it's time to get rid of it. Now, I've been thinking about this this week. I grew up with fig trees. We had them in our yard growing up. I love figs. It's my favorite snack. I buy a couple of pounds, literally. Do you know three figs, 100 calories? You didn't know that, did you? (laughs) I eat dried figs every single day, every single day. I love them. Uh, I, I grew up eating them. Uh, we had fig uh, bushes around our house when I was growing up. And I'm here to tell you, they're not pretty bushes. You only have a fig bush so you can eat the figs. You don't have it because it looks good. You know, it's like, like these Bradford pear trees. They're blooming right now. If you see a white tree somewhere blooming, it's likely to be a Bradford pear. Let me ask you a question. You ever eat a Bradford pear? You don't even know what I'm talking about, do you? Look it up. Brad, Bradford, Bradford pears, I don't think they put pears out. I don't think they do. I think they just look pretty for a couple of weeks in the spring, and then their leaves turn really bright color in the fall. So at least you get that from them. But with a fig tree that produces no figs, you don't even get that. It never looks good. Right? So a fruitless fig tree, it's been fruitless for all this time. It's taken up space in the yard and in the garden. Let's plant some corn or let's plant some okra. You know, let's plant something good and get rid of that thing because it's not doing any good. It's just taking up space. When uh, the small uh, college I went to in in North Carolina, uh, we had a, when I was there, we had this football coach who was a real idiot and a real crazy man. There's some judging, uh, but... uh, I will, I will stand by that judgment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
I'm not, I'm not wrong about that. And so uh, he's, a, he's a really troublesome guy. And he, to get his football team pumped up, you know, we're a little school. We're like 1,400 students, right? And so you can, you can tell who all the football players are. You know, they, they are, you can just tell. Well, uh, he would tell the football players, like, you guys are providing value to the college. You're important. You matter. Everybody else on this campus who's not on the football team, they're just breathers, they're just breathers. All they're doing is taking up oxygen. That's all they are. They're just breathers. You guys are important. Well, you can you can imagine how that built community, right? And you can you can you can imagine how, you know, you would you know, us breathers would show up to watch the football team and when they lost we cheered, right? Like, hey, you know, but the the fact is it was uh you know, that's a way of looking at things, right? And and that's not unusual for us. In fact, that's the way we tend, you know, much of our culture tends to look at people, right? Is, is their utility, their usefulness, right? And and if you're a human being that's not useful, maybe you ought to get, you know, shuffle on off the stage because really you're not producing much fruit. Right? So what do you do with a fruitless fig tree? Three years fruitless. Well, if you're Jesus, you say, wait, let's give it another year. Right? We're all fruitless fig trees. It's what sinners, those who fall short of the glory of God look like. It's not that we don't have enough fruit. It's that on our own, we have no fruit. Jesus is saying this all the time, isn't he? he? He says, you know, he's divine, we're the branches, and without him, we can do nothing. He wasn't kidding. He wasn't using hyperbole to make a point. It's the truth. Without Jesus, you are a fruitless fig tree. In fact, without Jesus, you're not even a fruitless fig tree. You're a dead fig tree. And so as we, as we look at this, that's, that's one of the things that is kind of stunning about this, right? It's not that we don't have enough fruit. It's that on our own, we have no fruit, none. And what we deserve is to be dug up or cut down. But there's one who has come to have mercy on us that we be let alone. And that's what it means there when he says, no, leave him alone. We're going to forgive him. We're going to forgive him for the past three years of fruitless existence. And I'm going to go to work on him, right? And that he's going to give us extra care that we might live and bear fruit. And and the thing that you have to see about this is this is all happening despite the tree, right? It's not that like uh that the tree shows promise. 3 years no fruit, not much promise. Right? I used to tell my kids all the time, my kids would make grand resolutions about things they were going to do. And you know, you can ask them this, they would testify to this. You know, you know how your parents always have those dumb things that they said to you? Well, one of my things is, you know, the biggest predictor of the future is the past. Right? If you failed 10 times, chances are you'll fail 11 times. Right? So... 
without some kind of intervention, without something happening here in the life of this tree, unless unless the vine dresser inter, uh, you know, intervenes in this situation, uh, chances are the tree is just going to continue to be unfruitful, right? But it's, So it's all apart from the tree or outside the tree, purely from the grace and mercy of its vine dresser, who now not only is its vine dresser, but literally its savior, this, this vine dresser is keeping the tree from being killed, cut down, thrown out of the garden, burned, right? Next slide. So what, what is happening here is, is that the vine dresser sees the tree and he loves the tree. He loves it. And in fact, the tree now becomes the object of his special care, right? So the thing you should hear from Jesus today is that because he is the vine dresser and because he has come and he has lived and he has died because he is the sacrificial, merciful, gracious, powerful vine dresser, because that is true of him and because without him we are the fruitless fig trees, right? What we should see is, it's not that we should come away with this, is I really need to repent. The fact is, because the vine dresser loves you, you can repent. Because he is for you, because he is forgiving you, because he is bearing with you and for you and in him the effect of your fruitlessness, you can repent. You can cry out to him for mercy. If you want to know what repenting is, is just say this, Jesus I am a fruitless fig tree. Help me. That's it. That's all you got to say. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to believe, right? So the care that Jesus now provides for you and me, he does this for us. He digs around in our lives. And you don't like that. Not only, not only is he digging around in our lives, but he's probably pruning us. He's probably cutting off that stuff that's not so good. He's fertilizing us. And what is his fertilizer? It's himself. It's his blood. It's his word. It's his spirit. He is giving us of himself so that we are transformed and we become fruitful. And so what I want you to hear today, fruitless victories, what I want you to hear today, those of you who are left, if left to yourselves, are dead, is that you have every reason for hope. Not because you're a tree with potential, but because you have a vine dresser who loves you. He loves you. And he sees you in your need and in your fruitlessness. And he is going to spend his time, energy, and blood making you fruitful. Right? Jesus takes what is fruitless and by his work, he transforms us. Right? Next slide. Secondly, you're not alone in this. You know, it's not like Jesus stands apart from you and shouts at you to do better. But he gets in your life. He roots around in your life. He, he's engaged and he's involved, right? Because he's loving and faithful in that way, right? He's not going to leave you alone. He's going to come after you. He's going to do work on you. He is going to reorient you. He's going to cause you to be changed. Remember, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? 
left to our own selves as fruitless fig trees, we'd never embrace poverty of spirit. But Jesus sees it as something that's attractive. In fact, the fruitless fig tree gets the most attention. And you see, you have to understand that because what Jesus does as the vine dresser to care for us is he himself takes on the role of the fruitless fig tree where he's chopped down and thrown out so that he can be resurrected and now be the vine dresser that saves us, right? But that's not where it ends either. Is that he does this work in us. He changes us. He makes us fruitful in such a way that we can bear fruit and that fruit begins to spread to the other fruitless fig trees uh, in the yard and the garden to trans he uses that to transform other fruitless fig trees right so the the news today is unless you repent you're dead praise god jesus sees you fruitless as you are, and he loves you. And he comes to you, and he does this work to transform us. That's our hope. And it's a big hope. It's a stunning hope. It's a powerful hope. And it is the only hope of the world that ultimately will never disappoint. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let's confess our sins together by using the prayer of confession in our bulletin and up on the screens behind me. Merciful God, we have sinned in what we have thought and said and the wrong we have done. And in the good we have not done, you proclaim the gospel of God, but we have been slow to repent. Forgive our cold hearts. You said the kingdom was at hand, but we have been slow to trust. Forgive our unbelief. You called us to follow you, but we are given to our own way. Forgive our rebel lusts. Forgive us for our Savior Christ's sake and renew our lives to the glory of your name. Amen.
believer, hear these words of encouragement. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. 